when you're down. Hello, and welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. Today we're talking about The Last Niyama, which is not a Keanu Reeves movie, but it is the final of the five Niyamas or observances. Niyamas, along with the Yamas, are recommended for healthy living and all-around enlightenment and are part of the eight limbs of yoga. Niyamas are the do's compared to the Yamas don'ts, if you want to think about it that way. Just to review, the five Niyamas are Saucha, which we talked about in episode 73, that's purity, Santosha, contentment, episode 77, Tapas, Sanskrit for self-discipline, you can find that conversation in episode 78, and Svadhyaya, which is self-study, that's last week's episode, you can look up if you so choose at episode 79. Today, episode 80, we're talking about Ishvara Pranadana, which is Sanskrit for surrender to a higher source, and it is our final installment of the Niyama series. Now, if you practice all the yamas and all the niyamas and you've got them all down pat then this one may come pretty easily alternatively if you do this one you likely won't need to think about the rest of them because this one is devotional this is the actual letting go of ego and surrendering to something else we'll get into that offering up the results of one's actions to the divine which sounds a little bit like non-attachment we'll talk about that too But this is where your own personal desires move into the background and your spiritual life moves more towards the foreground, more front and center. Ishvara is a Sanskrit word that can be translated to mean supreme or personal, God. Pranidhana means to dedicate, devote, or surrender. The practice of Ishvara Pranidhana, therefore, means that if we're able to completely surrender our individual egos, our individual identities to God or our own higher self, then we will attain the identity of God. So if we let go of the identity of ego, we'll attain the identity of God. If we can dedicate our lives to serving the God that dwells within other beings, human and non-human alike, will move beyond all feelings of separateness, meaning every being, human and not, has a spirit of God within it. And if we can let go of the fact that we are all separate, we're all separate and individual, then we become unified and divine altogether. If we let Jesus take the wheel, then all worry goes out the window. It's a big one. This is a big one. This one is one of the ones that I find to be more esoteric and and more ethereal and because of that more challenging. Swami Satchitananda, who translated the sutras, makes a point of stating that Ishvara Pranitana means offering our actions up to the divine and to humanity because we are all one. And in the Upanishads, the word Ishvara means a state of collective consciousness, which is telling us, in a sense, that there isn't necessarily in this system a godlike figure we're supposed to worship or devote our actions to, 
but instead in this system, God represents this collective consciousness and represents all of us. So again, we're getting a little bit esoteric right away, but maybe not. Maybe that makes perfect sense to you. And you're like, yeah, of course, God is in everything and everyone. For me, that one is a little bit trickier. So let's talk about what this means in your yoga practice and in your life, because we all know that what happens on your mat is what's happening in your life. Or maybe we don't know that, but let's talk about it because I think that's an interesting point and it'll help our conversation. I have a teacher who used to say, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And she'd say it like as I was setting up a classroom. I've assisted her many, many times in workshops and we'd have to lay out sometimes 70, 80 mats ahead of time, all with blocks and blankets and everything. You know, after a few days of that, you're going fast. You're kind of just dropping meditation cushions and kicking blocks where they need to be. And then how you do one thing is how you do everything. And it used to kind of be annoying. It used to kind of piss me off, actually, because what does that mean? That I rush through everything, that I'm not careful and attentive, that my mind is often on the next event and not in the moment and low-grade resenting even the tasks I volunteered to do. Oh, Maybe it is saying that. Crap. Interesting, though, and something to think about. So what happens in yoga class, this is what I'm proposing, what happens in yoga class on your mat is a microcosm of how you are out in the world. Totally willing to go with the flow, up for an experiment, perfectly present in most moments, impatient, begrudging, judging, pushing too hard, not pushing hard enough, just something to think about. So we'll start with Ishvari Pranidhana in yoga class and then expand out into the universe. In a yoga class, think about a challenging class or a challenging posture and what it means to surrender, to stop fighting the pose. Sometimes it happens with a particular posture or sometimes it's the whole class. Maybe you walk in to your favorite class and there's a substitute teacher or the teacher leads a posture that isn't easy for you. What happens in those moments? Often, ego fights for a little while. It brings up what your expectations are, all your judgments. Maybe you're able to give in a little. You have your moment of judgment and then figure, well, you know, I'm here. I might as well be present or maybe not. But you you might as well let your brain release all the thinking and talking and judging and just be there in whatever moment that exists because you showed up. Or maybe not. Maybe you just struggle and fight and you're in your own head for the whole class, which isn't fun and you leave annoyed and maybe didn't actually participate fully in the class at all because you were really in your head the whole time. This letting go, that being in the moment, releasing thought and judgment, that's letting go of ego. Ego fights to protect, but when we let it go, we can really see what we're capable of. We see a little bit more than what ego is offering. That already is surrender, letting go. But surrendering to something might feel a little bit different. Have you ever been to a yoga class where they invite you to set an intention? The teacher might ask or guide you to choose to dedicate your practice to someone or something. And whenever this has happened to me in class before, I often felt a little confused or a little turmoil inside. And what I'm about to go through was a little bit of a, was a minor revelation for me. 
Because honestly, I never really understood how can I give my practice to someone else? It always felt so clearly, specifically my practice and the idea of giving it away, dedicating it to someone or some idea felt like all talk. You know what I mean? It just felt like a nice idea, but what did that really mean? With Ishvara Pranidhana, we talk about offering up the results of one's actions to the divine, or maybe to the universe or to humanity at large. And if we do that with our practice, then our practice becomes less about ego and more about how we can help ourselves stay healthy enough to help the world around us. The idea of doing the practice not for my own gain, but so that I can be a better citizen of the world. Now, to me, that made perfect sense. And I don't know why I just needed to hear it articulated in a slightly different way. It is my practice. It is my body on the mat. But if I let go of doing it for me and instead see my practice as an opportunity to prepare for service in the world... That feels like dedication. That feels like devotion. And that for me was something I could wrap my head around. I do yoga to stay sane and get out of my head, which is great for me, but it's also great for everyone around me. Sometimes I do yoga to get physically stronger, which is great for me, but it's also great for my nieces and nephew because three-year-olds are heavier than they look. Yoga helps me be more self-sufficient which is great for me, but also great for the people around me who can rest assured knowing that I walk through life on my own two feet. Yoga even helps me open up to love, which is great for me, but also really great for my partner. We're already getting into this space where we're going from micro to macro. Before we get very macro, I'm going to pause to say thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening to Yoga for the Revolution. If you haven't already, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Google Play. Please do rate us if you are so inclined. Keep the good reviews coming in. You can do that right in iTunes or wherever you listen. And heads up, Yoga for the Revolution is going on a break. I am going on a break. I have a workshop or a retreat almost every weekend this month, and that is that is all good. These are all good things. And since I always take a week off every 10 episodes this time around, I'm taking the rest of the month to pause, live inside my life, and get all new episodes ready for you guys. We'll be up and running again in July, hopefully with a couple of interviews and some more of just, you know, me talking about stuff. You can always find all of our back episodes and all our future episodes on yogafortherevolution.org. You can see us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yoga for the revolution or at me on Twitter at y underscore f underscore t underscore r and look for yoga for the revolution on Instagram. I'll try to keep posting during this month, uh, during this time of break, even though there aren't new episodes. So let's stay in touch. If you have any requests for what you might want to hear coming up, reach out, reach out on social media or through the contact link on the website. Now let's get micro. I mean, let's get macro. Let's get large. So we talked about letting go of ego a little bit. Ego, to be fair, I think, gets a bad rap. It does serve a purpose. It is there to protect us, to promote us. The only problem is 
it kind of has a mind of its own in that it it's more interested in its own survival than anything else. It's as if you had like a really helpful parasite and for years this parasite would help you identify who you are, what is dangerous, what is good, what qualities you possess, what items you possess. And it's been around since you were little, since you learned to say mine. And this little parasite helped you navigate some social stuff and protected you when people were mean sometimes and helped you figure out some coping mechanisms. Ego was helping you. Ego was on your side. But as you grow emotionally, as you mature, you may have habits that you want to shift. But now our helpful parasite is less helpful. The ego is not into it. We grew all this armor together and we built walls made of habits and patterns. And the ego does not want to change that. But what would happen? Who knows what would happen? Maybe it would be something horrible. We can't change anything now. So at that point, ego is not a helpful friend. Ego is limiting in that way. I don't know. Did you ever have like a party friend? Someone that you just hung out with and got wasted and had a grand old time? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a golf friend or someone that like you only did one particular thing with. And for whatever reason, you grew away from that thing. You decided you did not want to live that particular lifestyle or do that activity anymore. And that friend feels limiting right? That friend may not let you grow in the ways that you want to grow. And, you know, that's kind of what ego is like. And it's tough to break away from that. And there's no blocking ego on Facebook. It's just always there, which is what makes surrender so tough because ego has a strong grip and does not want to let go of anything. And to do it doesn't take will. It's not a willpower thing right? You can't let go of something by holding on tighter. It takes practice and it takes building up faith or building up trust. Maybe doing a letting go in a really small way and then doing it over and over again. Maybe that means you can do it again in a bigger way or a different way. Perhaps it means practicing letting go of ego on the mat in your yoga class so that you can do it a little bit more in your life outside your practice. I mentioned a little earlier, we talk about letting go or surrendering, and sometimes that means just surrendering to what is, right? Surrendering to the moment, not fighting against it, being kind of a a semi-permeable membrane instead of a brick wall. But I do want to share something related but slightly different uh, that I read in Yoga Journal of all places written by Shiva Ray. And I really like how she approaches this. To practice Ishvara Pranidhana, we must first start with our own intimate connection to the universe. In yoga, this is referred to as your Ishta Devata. Editorial note, once again, I've only read this phrase. I have not heard it said. So if you know of a different or better or more accurate pronunciation, feel free to message me and I will make a note of that when we next talk to each other. The quote goes on. The yogic concept of Ishta Devada recognizes that we each have our own personal relationship with and taste of the divine and that this serves as a powerful means to yoga unification for us. 
So she goes on to mention that monks in India may worship Shiva or Vishnu. And it's important to note that even though yoga itself is not a religion, it's more of a philosophy or a system for life, that it does borrow heavily from Eastern religions in a lot of ways, right? You don't have to be Hindu to practice yoga, but know that there is an influence here. And some of that influence is what makes yogic philosophy malleable to your own personal and, quote, intimate connection with the universe, right? Because Hinduism has a lot of gods and their practice allows for complete and total devotion to one particular god or another. It allows there to be room for you to find a connection with a deity that works for you then what we're saying here in this context is we're we're porting that malleability over to say your idea of divine will work. We don't all have to be on the same page in terms of what a capital G God would be. Okay, if you read about Ganesha and you love Ganesha, great, that works for you. But if you walk into a yoga studio and see the elephant god everywhere and that does nothing for you, that's also fine. You don't have to be Hindu or Jain or Buddhist to practice the yamas and niyamas. You don't have to worship a deity that is foreign to you to practice Ishvara Pranidhana. In fact, it is more efficacious to devote or to serve the kind of God that you naturally believe in. Find your own language. That is what is so lovely about this whole approach. And you know, that that could be a new perspective, right? For example, I grew up being told, you know, not by my parents, but by people in my religious school, that you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, there's no chance for your soul. You could be a great person and live a good life, but you gotta, you gotta be with Jesus if you're going to make it to heaven because of the rules. But this idea of Ishta Devada, which I believe comes from Hinduism, is about finding your preferred deity, even if that deity is not a deity at all, but an idea, a principle, a general belief that there is something beyond ego. So in this article, she quotes Krishnamacharya saying, Krishnamacharya, probably the most influential figure in the spread of yoga to the West, advocated that Western yoga practitioners use their own language imagery, and names of the sacred to deepen their connection to Ishvara. This is why, to me, it's okay to put on James Taylor at the end of your yoga class and have a kirtan-style sing-along because these are the songs of my people. I went recently to a class at Laughing Lotus here in New York, and that's exactly what happened. At the end of class, You've Got a Friend came on, and you know, we sat there and sang along and I was like, well, this is like the whitest freaking thing I've ever experienced. But you know what? We were all white. Or if we were not Caucasian, we were mostly American, North American, grew up in this culture, grew up kind of in this whitened society. And I say that 
honestly, with the knowledge that our cultural experience has been bleached and that a lot of experiences from other cultures uh, have been wiped away and are being, trying to be erased. So I, again, I'm not trying to make a comment on erasure of race and cultural appropriation in that way. What I'm saying is it made sense for that particular group to experiment devotion with an artist that may mean more to them innately than someone singing in Sanskrit. Does that make sense? I'm not saying you can't love Snatam Kaur or you can't love Deva Premal. I listen to both of them and play them in my class. But what I think is really interesting is sometimes we feel like we need to adopt or appropriate a whole entire culture in order to get at the real, the quote unquote, the real juice of the spirituality. And what I like about this approach is that allows you to acknowledge the deep roots of this tradition at the same time. When it comes to your own personal spirituality, it must come from inside. It must come from your own divinity. It must come from your own connection to God and to the universe. So You can experiment and you can absorb and you can appreciate at the same time. Don't be afraid of embracing what comes naturally to you as opposed to putting on a cloak of another culture. Okay, I'm open to saying that might have been a messy explanation and I'm sure in and among those words, there were things that were not quite on target. I'm open to hearing about that if anything you felt was off there. I do hope that the the general point was coming through. We don't need to wear another person's culture in order to be spiritual. I think that's all I was saying. I think that's part of why yoga is often confused with religion or with a specific religion. And there are absolutely religious aspects to this system or this lifestyle. A desire to unite with the divine is not really the most secular item on a wish list. But that said, what we're talking about here is yoga is not prescriptive of how you reach this divinity. What yoga says is Deva, Lakshmi, Jesus, sure, the universe, yeah, okay, let's do that, whatever works. What these old scriptures are saying is there isn't just one way to get there. Use whatever speaks to you. The goal is what is universal. The goal is the dissolution of ego. So that is really interesting to me and unique to the practice. And it's so big. How do we even approach it? Let's go back to the micro macro. If you do an action... Let's say you could do that action driven by ego, driven from a place to protect or advance one's self, one's ego identity, or you could offer it out, let go of results, do the action with a greater good in mind. I know it's still a little abstract, but which is why I think religions give you something to stare at. Here's this guy. He was great. He died for your sins. Think of him. What would he do? Or here's this God. He was amazing. He did these amazing things. Aspire to be like him or her. It's a little bit easier to incarnate these ideas if we can make a little statue or a piece of jewelry and then use that as your reminder that there's something 
connecting all of us, something beyond ego that is not man, that is not woman, that is either a force or an element or nature itself, or the stuff that binds the universe together, the thread along which ideas are strung and relationships are woven. Let go to that. Surrender to that. Be awake in the moment and not grab at it for your own self. To me, this is the goal, to appreciate the beauty of the moment, the beauty of work, and letting it go. Dedicating your actions to the greater good. That's all for today. It's a big one. Let it simmer there for a little bit. As a reminder, I'll be taking a little summer break, but I'll check back in soon. Keep in touch. Find me on the internet. Reach out. And until next time, keep breathing and live to fight another day. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Hey, now all you've got to do is call. Lord, I'll be there. Yes, I will. You've got a friend. You've got a friend. Yeah. Ain't it good to know you've got a Ain't it good to know you've got a friend? Oh, yeah, yeah, you've got.